about that cigar? How about that cigar? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Drew Estate Cigar Studios for How About That Cigar Live, episode number... 75. Boom. Episode number 75. It's Tuesday night. It's our favorite night of the week, guys. You know it. You love it. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, like I said, we come to you from the Drew Estate Cigar Studios. And Drew Estate wants to talk about the new Acid 20 Bronxzilla, an exclusive to Alliance Cigar Company. In 2019, Drew Estate celebrated an important milestone with the global introduction of the Acid 20 anniversary. And now the Acid 20 Bronxzilla, an Ecuadorian Connecticut shade offering that will be available exclusively through Alliance Cigar Company. Mm. Wrapped in a creamy, smooth Connecticut shade cover leaf over Indonesia. Indonesian binder and rich Nicaraguan filler. Bronxzilla is packed with bold flavor and aroma. Creamy pack. Each 5x54 Robusto is blinged out in chrome foil and packed in a 20-count box emblazoned with the Ascent 20 logo. For more information, please visit DrewEstate.com and AllianceCigars.com. Emblazoned. Emblazoned. That's such a great word. It is a a fun word. So, uh, again... All our viewers and listeners, we appreciate mm. you guys being with us on episode 75. I cannot believe 75. That's 75. Yeah, it's bonkers. It's crazy to think about. Oh, um, thank, thank you guys you. for being with us. Um, we are here because you guys are still watching and listening, you know, so we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Garrett, as always, there's a little bit of Twins news. They're mm-hmm. playing right now. I think they're still Mm-mm. they're still down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, lost again to the White Sox last night. You know, uh, they're, they're just hot or cold. Mm-hmm. They're just hot or cold. But they did make up some ground with the, the Cleveland series. The Cleveland series was very good. Yeah. So uh, but, still in the mix. Yeah. But the White Sox are just, I don't know, they're crazy they good. Um, the, it is nice to, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a hater, but just looking forward to if, they're, if we're going to have a postseason shot, it is nice to see the Yankees struggling because then yes. maybe we won't have to face them. You know, it's it's not like I'm praying for the Yankees to fail. It's just I'd rather not have to face them because we always struggle against the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was uh, that's that's it for sports news. That it? Are you sure? Yeah, that's, are that's you sure it. that there's no more? Mm. There's no more sports news. I don't think because mm, I'm, I'm pretty to... sure the mm. NFL season just mm. started. <laughs> I don't. And uh, I think we so we I think we just finished week one uh, of the NFL season, and I think the home opener for the Minnesota uh, Vikings uh, la, la, was against a team called uh, the la, Green Bay Packers, thirteen-time NFL champions. Uh, and I think I think we did we win. Okay. Oh my gosh, we won! I would like <laughs> to go on record and just say. I don't know why I start to <laughs> dang it. I do it every year too. And uh, it'll probably be no different next year, but you know, uh, Hey, I, I made a, a wrong call last week when I was convinced that the Packers were going to struggle this year, that they, uh, they were in a rebuilding year and Aaron Rodgers was on decline. Well, I said Aaron. I also said Aaron Rodgers was in decline because really he has yep. been for the last two seasons. He has, but I didn't see any decline Mm-mm. on Sunday. Nope, nope. Um, and the uh, so Minnesota has elected to not even put secondary people out in the backfield. Um, no secondary. No secondary. No, which uh, <laughs> didn't work out so well. Didn't no no no. Uh, um, so we've uh, we've got some work to do. 
certainly on defense. Now, offensively, they did put together, you know, um, you know, but it was too late. You yeah. know, by the time the Vikings started clicking uh, in the fourth quarter, yeah, it was too late, and our defense couldn't. You know, and then it was tit for tat, and we could not keep up. You said tit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm such a child. Um, so yeah, it's it's fun to see NFL football again. It's weird seeing you no know, people in the stands, although some stadiums have, you know, minimal seating, so like fourteen thousand people, ten thousand people here and there, um, but. You know, I think it's fun to have NFL football back. I know there's a lot of people whining about uh, the league and stuff right now. I, you know, you do you. If you want to whine about it, that's fine. I'm going to keep watching football because I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's fun. Uh, yep. So, you know, it's uh, just, you know, you do you. Watch your sports and, and whatever, you know, whatever yeah. your thing is. Yeah. Watch or don't watch. Watch or don't watch. Yeah. Just don't whine about it when other people choose to watch. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, guys, like we said, <laughs> sorry, I got a little uh, mosquito there. Um, so, yeah, episode number 75, guys, thanks again for watching. If you are on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button because we love those subscribe buttons. Uh, and we want to uh, bring in our special guest right now. And as always, our special guest is brought to us by Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, the Internet's largest and easiest to use virtual cigar store. Corona Cigar Company offers you the finest handmade cigars, humidors, and cigar accessories at the absolute lowest possible price. You'll also find unique and limited cigars containing Florida sun-grown tobacco. As a proud American, president and founder of Corona Cigar Company, Mr. Jeff Borshowitz, believed it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, you'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of cigars containing this special Florida sun-grown tobacco. If you live in Florida or are just visiting, be sure to visit any of the great Corona Cigar locations in downtown Orlando, Sand Lake, Lake Mary, and also the Davidoff of Geneva Lounge in Tampa. For more info, please visit floridasungrown.com and coronacigarcompany.com. So it is time, ladies and gentlemen, to bring in our special guest of the evening. Please put your hands together. Welcome from LH Cigars, Nick Sears. Nick, how's it going this evening? Very well, thank you, and congratulations on your 75th episode. I wish you guys all the success, continued success in the world. Oh, thanks. thanks, thanks, brother. It's been a it's been a fun journey, and it's uh, you know it's all due to you know guys like you being willing to come on the show and share your stories, and our great viewers and listeners who you know keep sticking with us every week, and we have a blast doing it. And it's uh, you know it's a labor. That's the most important thing. Yeah, as long as you're having fun, keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. And I just wanted to uh, quickly say too that we are going to be starting some really fun contests and giveaways coming up. So we're putting together something really cool partnered with a really cool brand. And um, so as you're watching, um, look forward to some of the contests that, that we've got coming up for you to have a chance to win prizes and, and uh, yeah, Super excited. Yeah, good stuff in the works. There's going to be uh, a big announcement about that coming up in the next week or two. Sorry, I didn't mean to uh, capitalize on our time with Nick, but uh, <laughs> just had to. Your show. So, uh, Nick, before we get into kind of, uh, you know, the uh, the origin story, tell us where uh, where you're broadcasting from and what you're drinking and smoking along with us this evening. I am in the a little brisk, cold weather of 
New Jersey, northern New Jersey to be exact. This is where I grew up. And a couple of years ago, I had to move back um, for my parents. And now I'm kind of stuck here with the COVID. But as soon as I can, I plan on moving out of New Jersey. Nothing against New Jersey. It's just I once you, you know, I left for 20 years, lived in Florida for 20 plus years, came back to Jersey. You know, there's no coming back. I mean, it's great, yeah. but I just I got to get to the warm weather. I'm sorry. It's too yeah. much for me. No, I. So that's where I, I'm at. And what I'm smoking, I happen to be smoking um, one of my favorite cigars, uh, the Nick and Jim, uh, which is a cigar made for Jim Robinson, which has my favorite, personal favorite, at least now, uh, wrapper that I use. And I've been using it in a lot of different cigars. And I always seem to go back to that cigar. Yeah. So nice. I like it. So, you know, we say it all the time. We we love to have you you guys from the industry on here because – there are so many different stories. There are so many different ways that people become part of the premium cigar culture and then become, you know, some people become part of the business and part of the industry. So, you know, give us kind of the your backstory as far as, you know, that first time that you sat down with a premium hand-rolled cigar, you know, what you were doing before the premium cigar business and kind of how that first cigar led into the, uh, um, the business that you're in now? Well, you know, the first time I had a cigar, premium cigar was probably in college, but I don't really remember it. It wasn't that memorable because it wasn't that good. I just couldn't, I didn't get it. I couldn't understand why people were smoking these things and it just kind of glazed over it. And, uh, once I graduated college, uh, I was a police officer for a number of years and I was into, um, just enjoying life at that point. And somebody had given me a cigar and I don't even recall what it was. I think it was like a Macanudo. And it was the first time I had this aha moment saying, wow, I think I understand why people smoke cigars and being the type of personality that I am. I remember going to my local bookstore at the time. I think it was a B Dalton's Mm -hmm. and I went in there and I bought every book I could on cigars. And then I remember, this is why I remember exactly when it happened because on the way out of the store, I looked over the magazine rack and this big cigar just hit me in the face. It was bigger than life. And I go, what? There's actually magazines that are about cigars. So I, of course, picked it up and it was the inaugural issue of Cigar Aficionados in 1992. And I remember it was also the first magazine I'd literally read cover to cover and I just devoured it and I was hooked and I just was a part of it. And I just, I I joined clubs. Um, I was part of the original founding members of one of the largest cigar clubs in New Jersey called the Metropolitan Cigar Society. We were one of the 13, 14 original guys there. And we used to go every month and have a dinner. And I just got all into the culture of it. And I, and uh, I became a, what you call prosumer for many years. Yeah. Uh, And so, yeah. And, and um, what what were you doing before, you know, uh, before cigars became your, your career? I, uh, on top of being a police officer, I had an electronics company. I was doing tech work and I had a retail store and I, and in the early stages of home theater, that's what we were doing. We were designing and installing high-end home theaters across the country. And um, I got involved in the cigar business because I ended up hooking up and becoming friends with a Saudi prince that happened to be a big cigar smoker. And uh, my travels took me to Saudi Arabia constantly doing large jobs. And I was there all the time installing these 
theaters and home automated type houses all over the kingdom. And uh, this guy was a big cigar smoker. So we kind of bonded over cigars. And then in uh, 2008, things started to kind of crash with the economy. And then by 2008, the, this particular prince said, hey, listen, did you ever think about opening up a, a shop? And I'm like, no, no interest. He's like, well, I could really use uh, a lounge here in Saudi Arabia. They don't exist. And it would be great to get all these freeloaders out of my house. You know, he used to have these these men's club meetings every night. There'd be like 30, 40 people. And and uh, he wanted to kind of move them. And it would be a cigar, you know, fest there. But so we ended up opening up a, um, I became involved in a project that was known as La Vida Havana which is the life of Havana. And we opened up the first one in Riyadh in 2008. And um, that's how I got in the industry, first as a retailer. And um, quickly I realized that dealing with the Cuban government and trying to get, uh, and the distributor, mainly the distributor, that was the distributor of um, Africa and Asia, a company named Phoenicia. And uh, you basically got what they gave you. You never got what you needed. You never got what you wanted. So you just took what they gave you. And I realized early on that we needed to get the cigars for our clients. It was a private club initially. And um, so it was my job to facilitate trying to get some of these uh, exclusive and limited edition cigars. Again, mainly Cuban because that's pretty much what everybody smoked um, overseas. So uh, that's how my travel started getting me to Cuba. And uh, I fell in love with the country. And I got totally involved in the industry there. And um, I went through their schooling there. Um, I went through their master blending school, which I don't know if it's a true statement, but I think I'm probably the only American that's gone through it. And again, I, I kind of got through it because I have dual citizenship and um, I'm Greek and they never, even though they knew I was American, they kind of always viewed me as Greek. And since you know my business wasn't in the U.S., had nothing to do in, in the U.S., and I was involved with Levita in the Middle East, um, they kind of let me in because they're very—they uh, they love Americans. Don't get me wrong, but they don't really like dealing with too many Americans uh, yeah. in, in Habanos. But yeah, then we opened up a few other ones, and uh, it was a good run. And yeah. uh, that's how I got in the business. And then you know, for the for the brand, you know, for. For you putting together, you know this this brand that you have. What? How did that all get started? What were the origins of you saying, "Okay, I'm going to start blending some things. I'm going to put together uh, blends for these people's palettes and these other people's palettes and my own palette." And um, you know, give us give us kind of the background story on how that became LH Premium Cigars. Well. Um these hundred or so clients of the Levita Havana private lounges, they all, you know, money was never kind of their, it wasn't really an object for them. So it was always like, they would say, Oh, I love this, this Cuban cigar, but I wish it was a little bit this. And I wish it was a little bit that. And I'm like, well, I can't very well go back to Havanos and tell them to make it a little stronger for you. And um, <laughs> I realized they'd laugh in your face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I realized early on that where there's a will, there's a way, and there's a lot of master rollers that were involved in all these. They're kind of like ambassadors for Havanos. They sit at these shops, so these people would be able to initially make the blends for me and try different things. And then eventually, I gravitated. That's when I went to the uh, blending school, and then. Spent a lot of time in Pinal de Rio in the Vuelta Bajo region of Cuba, uh, working with a lot of the farmers where you can get right down to getting the source material and then started creating uh, blends 
to the needs of these clients. Generally, what they what they wanted was a Cuban cigar. They just had a little bit more oomph. They just want a little bit more strength. So um, basically, that's what I did. I started creating these custom blends. Eventually, it started, and I made a blend that became the house blend. It was called, we didn't really have a name. It was just the logo, as you can see on my jacket, the logo of the of the lounge had an LH on it. So the band, I made a very simple band initially, and it was a black band with just that logo. And people started calling it LH, LH Cigar. And the one thing you have to say about the Saudis is they are very generous. They go about in different countries. They're always traveling. And wherever they are, they're always handing out cigars. So a lot of people would get these LH cigars in their hands. And then people would call me, the different countries would call me and say, hey, I have this LH cigar. How do I get this? And before you knew it, I was in 13 countries, predominantly in the Middle East and Eastern Europe. And then it started spreading from there. So I had this brand um, with different blends, of course. Um, but then I thought, you know, as an American, um, I would love to, I mean, I didn't really initially want to enter the U.S. market because, as you know, it's a very congested and there's a lot of great cigars being made out there. But I thought, you know what, I think I have a good product or I think I can make good product. Let me see if I can enter this market. And the way I got into the market was this. I was in Cuba and I met a gentleman that happened to be a tobacco broker. And I said, you know, what is a tobacco broker doing in Cuba? I thought they're all, all they use is Cuban tobacco. And I was informed very early on that Cuba does buy non-Cuban tobacco. I don't know what they do with it, but they do buy. Mm -hmm. So this particular gentleman said, hey, you know, uh, have you ever thought about making a non-Cuban cigar? And I said, nah, you know, I didn't think so. I mean, who am I as a blender to put myself on the level of some of these other uh, cigars that, for God's sakes, I, I was having difficulty selling Fuente and Padron in the Middle East because nobody wanted to touch it. It was just Cuban. But he's like, well, you know, don't sell yourself short. You have a good palate. Why don't you try something with non-Cuban tobaccos? So uh, everything kind of happened organically for me. Every type of tobacco that I use and the cigars that I use, I was involved in some way of acquiring it. Like I met a guy, his name was um, Gennario, and he actually uh, has a farm in um, Peru. And he, I met him in Cuba, and I said, you know what? I've never really thought much of Peruvian tobacco, but I explored it, and I really liked the way Peruvian basically – I love the synergistic effect of the Peruvian with the Nicaraguan um, as opposed to Nicaraguan and Dominican. So I started working with a lot of Peruvian Ecuadorian, I always knew about. They make some of the best wrappers out there. And um, we ended up leasing a farm in Ecuador where all the wrappers that are used in LH and a lot of the other brands that come out of the factory um, come from our wrapper farm. And we're always experimenting and doing different things. And um, that's how I started making LH cigars. And then I started selling it in the US. And here and we are. How many times have you reached out to Ricky Martin for <laughs> a. A, a collaboration for you know a song or a, a theme um yeah he's never returned my call so i know that we didn't get too far now <laughs> yeah i'll keep trying you know, yeah eventually he'll he'll call back yeah i'll have my people call his people oh yeah, yeah listen maybe you can make an introduction for me yeah. i don't know yeah so what, um, tell us about this. One of the interesting things that, that we like to learn about is the factories, um, you know, because mm -hmm. every factory, it, it, I mean, there's so much of it that's the same, but there's also the, the cool little differences that make uh, factories special and, and the relationships between you and the people who work at the factory and things like that. So 
So tell us about the factory where, where your cigars are made and, and, um, you know, kind of the, the little, if, if there are one or two little differences that make things, you know, special at this factory. Well, for me, it was the family feel being involved with, uh, with the factory. And, and you know what? You're, you hit on a point. I mean, all factories generally work the same, right? But they all have their own identity and their own personality. And what I found is that my palate and my partner's palate at the factory, very similar, very Cuban. And we were able to work with that. And the other thing is, you know, the bottom line is it's all, you know, tobacco is, I like to use the analogy of like chicken. It's all chicken. But it's how you cook the chicken that makes the difference. Yeah. I could tell you the exact formula of what's in my cigars. Anybody could, but you cannot reproduce that cigar. People think, mm-hmm. oh, if I knew exactly what it is, it's a half a leaf of this. It's the no. It's all in the cooking process. And the way that we ferment our cigars at the factory is different. We buy, um, we ferment our own tobacco. We do buy a lot of uh, ready tobacco too, but most of the tobaccos we use are minimum three to seven year age, depending on the cigar. And we ferment it there. Um, and the way you ferment it, we have different processes that we use for using Dominican versus Nicaraguan. And it's all about the fermentation and it's all about the mixes. Uh, people say, oh, you're a master blender. I, I don't like to use the word master blender. I, I by, by no stretch of the imagination am I master at blending. Can I blend? I've been doing it now for about nine years. Um, I'm good with about you know eight or nine different countries that I've been working with, but you know you have to understand there's 80 different countries that produce tobacco, and I don't do it full time every day. Um, in fact, it took me over a year and a half to come out with my first blend. You know, it's it, because I'm a little bit meticulous about things, and and I just kept trying to tweak it and tweak. It. And I, originally, I was going to call my first blend Onse because I thought that that means 11 in Spanish. Okay, I finally think I got it with blend number 11. But then by the time I was done, I was at 18 or 19. And, and yeah. then you never are done. You're like, oh, maybe I could still do this and do that. And it, for me, it's such a creative process. Uh, it's one of my most favorite things about being in this business. If I could just sit and blend at the factory all day, that's what I would do. Um, but again, that's the difference. The, you really have to learn the culture and the personality of each, of each uh, factory before you get involved yeah. and get involved with them. Well, I think I agree that that's one of the things that for, you know, for me going into factories for the first time and then going into the second factory and the fourth and the seventh and the twelfth factory, um, seeing those little differences was kind of eye opening and also seeing the process along the way with the blending and the and even not just for blending new cigars that are yet to be released, you know, and coming up with the core blend for that cigar, because like you said, you could be on the 19th version, the 20th version, the 30th version before, before it gets to where you want it to be. But then there's also the process of, of, uh, I don't know what the term is, but, but, uh, you know, midway through production, you know, it could be the cigar could have been on the market for four years, 10 years, 20 years, and making sure that that the cigars are consistent, that they taste today just like they did ten years ago, mm-hmm. and that's that's one of the things that really opened my eyes was seeing the guys at the tasting tables making sure that things were consistent. That's that that was a part that really opened my eyes. Well, I think the most important word in this industry is consistency. Amen. Uh, consistency yeah. in the blend, consistency in the quality of cigars that are produced. Um, one of the things, the byproduct of having a factory in Costa Rica 
is because, not because we're so generous, but the average roller in Costa Rica makes four or five times what a roller makes in Honduras or Nicaragua or Dominican. So what that does is you have people beating down our doors every day looking to get a job at the factory, you know, with 10, 20 years experience. The average age of experience of rollers in our factory is about 11 years. And uh, some of our best rollers are all Nicaraguans. And they've been in, and uh, we do have an in-house uh, training program for Costa Ricans as well. There's a nine-month program where they go through, but we have great rollers. And one of the things consistently that people tell me, and for me, it's almost like I, I, I not that I don't like it, I just expect it now when people say, hey, man, this is the quality, the construction is, is great. The construction is paramount. And I always tell any retailer, especially somebody starting out or trying, you know, being an LH retailer, I go, the one thing you can guarantee is that you can be very comfortable in offering any of your customers one of the LH cigars, because whether or not that blend is in their particular flavor profile or not, the one thing you will be assured is that it's going to be a quality smoke and a good quality uh, cigar. Yeah. So that's the most important thing. Yeah. Go for it. So Nick, you're getting into this business. You're starting to learn how to blend. I'm sure that you have got people that you have reached out to that have helped mentor and, you know, bounce ideas off of who are some of those people that uh, were, you know, a big part of, of uh, where you are today? Well, one guy in particular is in Cuba. He was the master blender for Habanos for right now. He's about 87 years old. He's the man that created the, all the Trinidad blends, mm-hmm. the Cohiba Maduro five, the Bahiki commer- uh, commercial Bahike, not the uh, the one that was the limited edition. He, the amount of knowledge that he had, uh, you know, in the first few years of going to Cuba, and literally I was in Cuba every month. Um, my my Spanish was not that good, but I tell you, through osmosis, we were able to communicate. I say there's another language uh, that I speak now, uh, and I would like to get more fluent than any of my other language. It's the language of tobacco. And it's an unspoken language as much as it's a spoken language. But when you speak tobacco, you immediately bond with people. Mm-hmm. And um, with people that speak that similar language, I, I immediately bond with them. I just have an immediate, like, you know, the power of attraction of that tobacco. And, and it's the same thing for smokers. I mean, the, the, the bonding qualities of cigars and cigar smoking, you know, where it takes and I say this all the time, where you can have a, guy, a prince that could be with the guy that's the, the sweeping the floor. And when they're sitting down, they're on the same level and they're talking uh, tobacco. And the, it's the love of the leaf that brings them together. Well, the language of the leaf of producing it and making it is also just as if not closer. So I've, most of my mentors have been Cubans. Um, I got to spend a couple of years just talking with Alejandro Robina before he passed mm-hmm. away initially. Um, outside of that, I went to everybody. Um, I, before I've released my cigar in the U S I ran it by just pretty much anybody out there. Uh, people that tried my cigar before it even hit the market just to get their feedback were people like Abel Fernandez, you know, Pete Johnson. I had everybody try it and give me their feedback. And I kept going back. Um, Hamlet, who's a good friend of mine when he was in Cuba, the, the funny thing is he used to say, my cigars are too strong. They're good, but they're too strong. And then I was kid with them. The first cigar he came out with, that was a pretty damn strong cigar. Yeah. I said, you, know, Hamlet, you know what? You know, for one guy that says one thing, you sure as hell. And he's like, well, I know, I know. But um, <laughs> Hamlet, Hamlet's, a, Hamlet's a great guy too. But so um, I'm always learning from everybody. 
You know, the day you think you know too much or you, you know it all is the day you stop learning. And this is a business that you never stop learning. And uh, that's why I enjoy it so much. Yeah. You know, it's a tough business. It is a tough business. But I like to think that my passion and my enthusiasm comes through when I'm there talking with consumers, which I love to do, you know, and also with retailers and anybody that loves smoking cigars. I'll talk cigars with anybody at any time. Yeah. And it's, it, it is, like you said, it's, it's one of those things that is, that we all have friends and family members in in our lives who uh, have never gone near a premium cigar that, you know, so be it, it's their loss. But, you know, we, it, it is, we've all had that struggle of trying to help our friends and family understand the meaningfulness of it, of, of premium cigars, that it's, 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 it's very difficult to, um, I almost, in a, in a, in a sort of way, I, I liken it to, to explaining something else that you would be passionate about, whether it's religion or something like that, that, that somebody who's not also, um, introduced to it and, 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 you know, has no interest in being introduced to it. They, they just, they can't understand. And, and for, for us getting people to just, just understand if, if they, if non-cigar consumers could understand even just a half percent more about it, then they would, that, that would at least put them on the side of, of saying, yeah, definitely premium cigars are in a different league than, than cigarettes when it comes to regulatory stuff and, and that kind of crap, you know, you mentioned religion. I like to think of it it's definitely on a different plane. I like to think of it as more spiritual than anything else. Mm, yeah. It's something that you have to understand. It's like, Oh, you know, you try to explain it to somebody unless they kind of get it or get into it. It's hard to explain. It's yeah. Is it about flavor and aroma and mm-hmm. taste? Yeah. But it's goes. So it transcends yeah. so much more. It, it's, it's something I use the word magical because I really believe, you know, when the early indigenous people were using tobacco for their um, religious ceremonies and about the smoke going up and it just somehow bonds people together. There's something very magical about smoking a cigar with somebody and the bonding effect that happens. If you meet somebody in an airport and you talk for five minutes, yeah, you're going to have that. Hey, maybe I I, I knew the guy. We had some common interests, but it's going to end there. But if you have a cigar with that same person. All of a sudden, you guys have become friends for life, or potentially friends for life. I just think it just it just lowers down everything, and it just makes people come together. Yeah, it's a, it's a great product, and you know, people always try to focus people that aren't of of the leaf uh, about the negative qualities and about everything else. But it it really isn't about that. It's really about what you get out of a cigar and what it represents. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, the other thing, you know, when I've had that conversation with people and I've said, you can go to another city and go to a cigar shop and a cigar lounge and, and have a great conversation over a cigar. He said, yeah, but you can do that in a bar too. I said, but you really can't in a, in a bar, it's completely different. The, the, atmosphere atmosphere, the um you know why people are in the bar you know everything is just completely different can you have a good conversation with somebody you meet at a bar in a random city no doubt about it but there is something special about a cigar and the culture in which cigar smokers enjoy that is unlike any 
anything else. Yeah. It truly yep. is. And I agree with you that unless somebody truly experiences that and, or at least observes it, it would be completely foreign to them. I don't force it on anybody. People that are friends of mine that don't smoke or, or even my own son who I don't want to force it on him. It's got to be something that he right. wants. He yep. had his first cigar when he came to Cuba with me when he was 17 years old and he smokes occasionally, but does he smoke a lot? Do I ever say, Hey, have a cigar with me? The only time is if he says, Hey, can I have a cigar with you, dad? You know, yeah. and I'll let him, I'll let him do it. But the point is, they have to want it. It's something that they have to desire. You can't force it upon somebody. You can't accelerate their process. Everybody is on their own journey to if they ever get to be a cigar aficionado or smoker or whatever you want to call it. But it's everybody's got their level. Some people don't yeah. get it, never get it, don't want to get it. They don't open up their mind. To me, it's not just about the the flavors. It's it's way more than that. But yeah, well, it's it's it, all the journey. I can identify with that a little bit because my my oldest son just turned 19. And I've had over the last couple of years, um, had a couple conversations with him just saying, you know, look, if, if the day ever comes that you, you want to try a, a, a cigar, talk to me, I'd be happy to, you know, sit down and, and share a cigar with my son. Uh, and if you're not, if, if it's something that you're not interested in now, or you're not ever interested in, that's okay. I understand. Um, but, you know, I would love to do that with you someday. And and as of now, he said he just it's really not something he's interested in trying. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. There's a little part of me that's hopeful that someday I can sit down and share a cigar with my son. But, you know, he's got to do it. He's got to do it on his own. He's got, and I told him that I said, it's got to be something that you decide. I'm not I'm mm -hmm. never going to you know force my hobbies onto you. And if it's something you want to try someday, I'd be more than happy to do it. How about this? I just thought of something. And even though they don't get it, they almost get it more than some people that never have smoked. You ever been on the beach or somewhere where some random woman that'll come up to you and go, oh, my God, you know, it reminds me of my grandfather, it reminds me mm -hmm. of my father, you oh, know, and God. they say it with such love in their eyes, remembering what that smoke, what that smell meant to them. You know, even though they've never smoked a cigar, they're on the path closer than people that just go, I don't get it. I don't understand what this is about, you know. Okay. They, you, you have to embrace it, you have to accept it, and you have to really understand it. And it happens, you know, organically. You can't yeah. force it on somebody. And I love what Carl just, you know, commented. This is fantastic. I smoke with my daughter, but my son rarely smokes with me. We go to lounges, and she is loving it. I think that's awesome. And that is fantastic. Yeah. You know, that uh, we shouldn't automatically think that, you know, it's it's for our sons and, and, and all of that. And I'm, yeah. you know... A little bit guilty of that myself. I haven't. Uh, um, my daughter's my daughter's fourteen, so she's still a little too young to have a cigar conversation <laughs> with her. Yeah, I've got so, one at twenty two, almost twenty two, and one at fifteen. My oldest daughter, you know, I, I did you know bring it up to her, but she just was not you know not her thing, not interested. Um, and uh, yeah, too early for my fifteen year old yet. But and it, and it helps if your spouse or significant other at least accepts. That is part of your life. Yes. If oh, that's absolutely. not there, it would be impossible. No. Yeah. I'm outside, as you can see, you know, the vinyl siding of my house. And would I rather be inside in a nice warm house smoking a cigar? Yes. But there's certain battles, you know, at least she accepts. She Obviously, I'm in the business. This is what I do. And she accepts it and allows me to have what I need to do. Um, yeah. But there's women that, oh, as soon as you walk in, take your clothes off, you know, get washed and make it so negative that it almost 
it's a struggle and they, and, and either people would say, ah, it's not worth the effort, you know? So it, it's important to have your significant other be supportive of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so give us a little bit of an idea of, because you, you talk a lot about, you know, Cuba and your, your relationships with people at Habanos. Um, when did you start? Um, cause I, I know you do, um, you organize tours, of Cuba through to the, the cigar factories and, and beyond. So how did that get started for you? And how many times have you been? How many times have I been before Obama, um, changed the laws? I had an OFAC license to be able to go there. Um, I would, I was there a lot average about once a month. Um, the whole Cuba tours happened because, a few years back, I was a co-host of a show called Smooth Draws Radio Show yeah. based out of Atlanta. And um, again, it was what we're doing here, talking about cigars, and I could do that all day long. So when Gary, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, he was the driving force of that uh, show. And even though people had asked me and Coop to kind of take over, it just didn't seem right. Uh, but anyway, Gary said, hey, Nick, you know, all these people keep saying, because the way I got into the show wasn't like, hey, come in as a co-host. First, I came in as an LH, uh, you know, owner, brand owner to explain about my cigar. And then um, we got talking about Cuba. So most of the conversation was talking about Cuba because it was very timely at the time when all the changes were happening in 2016, 17. So um, a lot of people and and then so I started doing a segment for the show called Nick's Notebook, A Cigar Enthusiast Guide to Cuba. So I basically would give people tips on what and how to go to Cuba and if you were related or, or, or concerned or, or wanted anything to do about cigars, I would answer all these questions. So I was doing this little seven minute segment and then that turned on to a, be a full co-host job. And then Gary said, Nick, we really should do tours to Cuba. And I'm like, huh. one thing about Cuba is there's organization is not something that they're used to. It doesn't matter how many times you book something, double check, triple check, have things, uh, things just kind of go awry all the time. Um, and they just don't get the business element of it, but it's difficult. But with time, you, you know, you cultivate people. And, um, so anyway, I said, you know what, it'll be definitely a struggle. And I also, what I loved about the first time I went to Cuba, it was very magical for me because it was like not only going back in time, but literally it was going to a different planet. And what I loved about it was that the cigar was really so a part of that culture there even though the cubans themselves they don't smoke because they can't afford to smoke but you could literally smoke a cigar at the time anyway anywhere you could walk through a hospital and smoke a cigar and everywhere you you'd want a cigar was they were very proud to see somebody smoking a cigar because it represented them and their country and and it was just it was just something that um it's like a kid going down to christmas you know the first day at the christmas tree and your eyes are open it's like oh my god I love that feeling. I had the, the initial feeling of it. And I wanted to share that with a lot of other people that I know would feel the same way. If you love cigars, I don't care if you don't like Cuban cigars, it's worth going to where the birthplace of cigars were and learning about the culture there. And so my trips were educational, cultural, people to people. We learned a lot about the history, but we did a lot about cigars. The key was going to all the different Casa de Albanoses because look, you can go on and just jump in on a factory tour. There's a couple of factories that do official tours. 
I was taking you to the factories that didn't give you the official tours. I was taking you to the rollers that not that you couldn't find it on your own, but to do it in like a four or five day process, I was bringing you to like nine different uh, master rollers that were like the ambassadors at these little shops that all had their particular blends. So the idea was, you know, you could buy a commercial Cuban cigar anywhere except the U.S. Um, But there, the key was they were making different blends. These these blenders or, you know, the rollers that were doing it for, you know, I don't know how many years at that point, they were given a little bit of a, hey, here's a little bit for you for being so loyal to us all these years. And they were allowed to sell a couple of sticks, you know, at the shop and you would see them rolling them. But they all had their particular blends and they were all kind of were known for their particular size or blend. So, you know, you had Ronaldo at at uh, Conde Villanueva that was known for the big fat cigars. You had um, Alex at the Comodoro who was known for his cigars. You had Juanita at the Milia Cohiba that had her cigars. You had La China at uh, the Partagas factory shop that had her. So everybody, so basically part of my tour was to bring them to all these different people, try their cigars with a coffee or a rum. And then if you wanted to buy some of those, they were generally less priced than the commercial versions of them. And it was something you couldn't get. And these cigars are very coveted across the, you know, in other parts of the world, people, and the only place you can get them is in Cuba. You yeah. can't mail order them. You can't order, you know, you have to go there. So those are the cigars that were special. And, you know, the farm cigars, even though they're different, you know, I mean, most people have had a Cuban cigar. And of course, we smoke plenty of Cuban cigars, commercial Cuban cigars when we're there. But taking them out to the farms to actually see the process um, and having a fresh cigar that's Cuban, you get to understand the difference between a fresh cigar and a cigar that's got some age on it. And I mean, first of all, all Cuban cigars are young in my opinion anyway, but you know, there's something about having a cigar in the, in the Vinales Valley, you know, it's just a very scenic, very beautiful place to have a cigar. And uh, so that's, I started doing tours and I was doing them uh, right up until uh, COVID hit, you know, it, to me, it's at this point, you know, I still do them. It's the same thing. Uh, do I love doing them? What I explained about, I love the way people feel after they've gone there. When people tell me, hey, this has been one of the best experiences I've ever had. And I'm talking about people that have never smoked cigars. I've done a lot of couples and people that don't smoke and they also enjoy them as well. But you get, you know, in, in the course of five days, get a good understanding about Cuba and the cigar world of Cuba. Yeah. So, well, I have to give a shout out quick because we got somebody who's chiming in here and um, they say hello from New Zealand. So thank you so much for watching uh, all the way from New Zealand. We appreciate that so much. It's uh, it's always cool to see people from all over the world, uh, you know, stop in and say hello. We appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, it's in the morning there. Yeah, it's morning. Time. Yeah, it's tomorrow. <laughs> so <laughs> he's uh, from the future, from the future. Um. Nick, one of the things that, um, and I agree with you about the, um, you know, people use the the word custom rolls, uh, and I've been fortunate to have uh, friends who've gone to Cuba and brought home some some of those, you know, just, uh, um, you know, personal personal blends and things like that, and and um, you know, they've been very special cigars, um, just because it it is just sort of something like you said, they're not commercially available uh, Cuban cigars. Um, but there's, there's a lot of, so we've talked about this on the show before that we don't really cover Cuban cigars on our website or on the show or anything, because if, until they're commercially available in the States, we're, we're not going to cover them. 
but they are there are still some Cuban cigars are like cigars from any other country. You can get really good ones and you can get very mediocre ones. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yep. what are so for the people that you've brought to Cuba and people who have not yet been, I have not been. What are some of the biggest misconceptions, not just about the Cuban cigars, but about the country itself that that you hear from people? Well, uh, well, that's a loaded question. We could do a whole show just about that. Um, It's very different. And people are amazed about how different it is, the way people are raised um, in that type of society where, you know, people are looking over their shoulder constantly or afraid to even pronounce. I mean, for years, people joke about it, but it's not a joke. You couldn't say the word Fidel. You know, people would be scared to say Fidel. You know, they would go the bearded one or they would go, you know, talk, just talking about him. And you're like, you have to understand up until like 2012, 2013, Cubans weren't even allowed, you know, the actual Cubans that live, they weren't even allowed to enter into the hotels. They weren't allowed to engage with Americans. If they did, they had to go and report to their CDC, which was their civil defense uh, community, and write down what their conversation was with who. uh, It was so restrictive. And uh, you weren't allowed to uh, conjugate with other Cubans and just hang out because you had to have a license to even go into the corner and talk baseball, which is a big pastime for Cubans. So yeah. it's a different lifestyle. And as far as the cigars, you know, people say, you know, Cuban cigars are the best or the worst. Um, they're neither, in my opinion. Some of the best tobaccos come out for Cuba. But, you know, right now, Nicaragua and Ecuador and, and Honduras, I mean, some of the tobaccos from there are so, so good. And I would put them up, uh, non-Cuban up against any Cuban cigar. You can have some really bad Cubans, too, just because, um, you know, it's Cuban. People go, oh, it's Cuban. You know, you can have, like you said, bad Cuban cigars, great Cuban cigars. The, the biggest thing for me with Cuban cigars is, generally speaking, most cigars, okay, all cigars will get better with age up to a certain point. But most cigars that are non-Cuban are pretty much ready to smoke when you're buying them at the shop. With Cuban cigars, in my opinion, most of those cigars, if you don't at least let them rest for 90 days, you're crazy. And they're only going to be better some a year or two uh, later because it just, they're a little bit, you know, maybe green's not the right word, but it just needs more time for it to really just, uh, uh, again, a good fresh roll, you know, it's an experience having one there, but having a, a Cuban cigar, some of their their limited edition stuff, and those cigars are some of their better cigars, but that should be the standard, you know, right. where the other cigars, you know, and then the, the, the biggest problem, and I know Cuba would hate me for saying this, or Habanos, is their quality control is just not there. Um, you know, whether the tobaccos are up to pars, it was one thing, but when they have so many... Unfortunately, it's not the exception to the rule, but the rule, when you buy a box of Cuban cigars, you buy a box of Cigolo 6 Cohibas that costs over $500, and when five to, you know, six cigars guarantee you won't be able to smoke or be completely plugged, would you expect that in any product in the U.S. where you would have one plug cigar? But it's just... It's part of it. And the Habanos won't take it back. The distributors won't take it back. So at the shops when we had them, you know, in a, they, they would be plugged and people say, hey, this is plugged. Yeah, okay, that's what it is. But, of course, we would have to eat it. So 
you know, any profits we're making on these things, you're taking it back in the 20% of the cigars that are plugged. They're getting better. They're trying to get better. But the problem is the system that's in place, the way they're paid, the way that they, um, they just don't have the quality control measures in place to prevent and just have the quality be higher. It could easily be done, but it's all about money. Yeah. So, so here's the, here's what I say when people ask me, um, especially new cigar smokers, you know, hey, what's so what's the deal about Cuban cigars? <laughs> you know, are they really the best? And this is this is what I usually tell them. And this is for Americans is it's the forbidden fruit aspect that makes Cuban very big part cigars, of it, you know, yeah. so special for, you know, a lot of people. Yeah. Um, beyond that, I I say tobacco is like rice. You know, you have a lot of different, you've got basmati rice, you've got jasmine rice, you've got wild rice, you've got all these different rice, and they all have unique individual properties. They can all be prepared very different ways, um, but it's all a great product, a lot like tobacco. And Cuban tobacco is, you can't grow Cuban tobacco anywhere else that produces, that's why we have Cuban tobacco, Nicaragua, you know, all the different blends. Um, so I say they are great cigars, but a Cuban cigar doesn't hit my, you know, it, I've got a Cuban cigar in my top five, but it's at number four for me. And, you know, um, so for Americans, Cuban, it, it's for me, it, it really just seems like that forbidden fruit aspect. Um, that's the big draw. That, that is people want what they can't have like anything, yeah. whether, no matter if it's a, uh, uh, a woman's handbag or, you know, shoes, you can't get limited edition Nikes. Everybody wants what they can't get. You know, the only thing, I'll, and I don't want to really harp on Cuban cigars because, you know, even though I love Cuba and we'll talk about Cuba, you know, it's, right. I don't, I don't make Cuban cigars um, for the U S. So the one thing is, the range of even though there's five you know growing regions in cuba as well as you know like there are like for instance in nicaragua the variety is not as big so i say if you have a, a range of one to a hundred maybe all cuban cigars kind of fall between the 30 and 40 range right there where if you get a, a puro from nicaragua you have cigars from jalapa you have cigars from Esteli, for condega they're so different you're going to get a better mixture a better blend that's going to be more, in my opinion, better because you have so many different things going on there. You can have a better mix going on. Where with Cuban cigars, now, who's to say they're not, you know, they, they'll never admit to it. But, I, you know, I think they're using tobacco leaves from other countries as well. Uh, one, because of the shortage of, of tobacco. Two, because you get some interesting blends. <laughs> you know, when you take Cuban and non-Cuban together, boy, you can do a lot more with it, you know. I think there's a lot of good tobacco from Cuba, but yeah. is it the best tobacco in the world? I, I don't think, you know, it'll always have a very special place in my heart because that's my, or, you know, that's what I used to smoke and that was where my palate comes from. But I think there's a lot of great cigars out there that um, if I never had to smoke a Cuban cigar again, I wouldn't be like the world is over Yeah, where some other people would feel that way. Well, and I'm, I'm excited for, you know, someday that because there again there's so much great tobacco from all over the world mm -hmm. and and the fact is there is 
tobacco, there is cigar tobacco being imported into Cuba. They don't officially, you know, say that they uh, ever use, the, the, uh, you know, all all cigars from Habanos SA are 100% Cuban tobacco, if you ask them. And and I understand that that, you know, they, they have to say that. And I'm not it, saying yeah, if it wasn't that. true, if it wasn't true and they admitted to that, there's your whole mystique of Cuban cigars. So right, whether right. or not that's true, we don't know. And if it isn't true, you know, they will never be able to tell you that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hopeful for, I'm hopeful for the day that things can, things can open up from a embargo standpoint and things can become more uh, market driven for, for Cuba because one of the drawbacks that, that I see with Cuban cigars is the, like you were saying, they're, they're typically um, under fermented. Possibly they need more time uh, on the shelf. They need more age. So they're not, the, the tobaccos aren't ready before, you know, they, they hit the aging room. You get them shipped to your house from wherever you buy them from. They, and, they expect the consumers to age them or the shops to age them because they want the, they need the money. So they they're need, producing, right. they don't have enough. So they right. keep putting them out, putting them out there and they're letting you do the aging for them. Yeah. And part of that is, you know, the, 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 the way that the system works there, you know, as far as the means of production and things like that. And I'm excited for the day that if things, if things start to open up from a market perspective, that you can see real out in the open collaborations between companies making great cigars in Nicaragua and companies making great cigars in Cuba and Costa Rica and, and Dominican Republic and Honduras. I'm excited for that day to come that they don't have to, that it can all just be out in the open saying, yes, Habanos SA is going to start working together with who knows, name, name a company. You know, the, and start working together on 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 creating some some things that you know are the are, new Alabama blend. The new, <laughs> yeah, the new mm-hmm. Alabama blend. Sure. Yeah, I think that uh, the day when that day comes, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, they're going to kill our business, and this is bad. I think if it ever opens up, it would only help bring not only attention mm-hmm. and awareness to the cigar business. It'll be another boom. And yeah. yes, will they sell some? Yeah. But I think it'll get the most important thing that'll happen for the American market. It puts everything at a level playing field. And I will say this in the last few years, the European market and the other parts of the world have been more receptive to non-Cuban cigars. And they are having their aha moments thinking for for them, it was just a non-Cuban was considered fake. It wasn't even considered. They they wouldn't say non-Cuban. And then the term Dominican was given anything that wasn't was blanket. Oh, it's a Dominican. It's a fake cigar. Yeah. I mean, it was just such a negative connotation. And now you're hearing words like New World cigars and they're appreciating the differences of, of a, you know, if you're used to smoking one type of cigar all the time, somebody gives you something completely different. Yeah. At first, you're not going to like it until you start to appreciate what that represents. And it takes time. But the rest of the world now is doing that because they got scared a few years back. They thought, oh, when when Obama opened up some things about Cuba, they thought the that Cuban cigars were going to be readily available in the U S and that it was going to be in. So people were scared because if that was the case, Cuban government does not have enough cigars to, to supply the U S and everybody else. So they were like, we better figure out and start smoking some of these other, you know, non-Cuban cigars so we can have cigars to smoke. Yeah. So, you know, um, and not to totally, you know, uh, make the show all about Cuba, but just a little history is after the embargo, 
um, I want to say, you know, uh, pre-embargo, the uh, American market was 90% of the Cuban um, uh, America was 90% of what Cuba was um, providing. Am I correct? Well, in that? there were there was more Cuban cigars made in the U.S. than there was in Havana. Tampa was the world, the center point. You know, Cuban right. cigars, that's where they were made, right in Tampa. Yeah. Yes, most cigars, you know, the rest of the world kind of, you know, got more into it. But, yeah, the U.S. has always been the largest. I think to this day, I don't Of course, there's no official statistics, but I would still say that the American market is the number one market for Cuban cigars. Mm. Unfortunately, the American market is also the, the largest market for counterfeit Cuban cigars, and there's more counterfeits that are being smoked than, than real Cuban cigars, but everything gets boomeranged. All these companies, these countries that are producing, that are, they're selling into the States, I have been since, since the beginning of time, you know, I mean, since, uh, you know, the 70s and 80s, I mean, people were buying from Switzerland, buying from the Caribbean, they're, you know, buying from Mexico. Mm. There's nobody in Mexico buying, you know, the, the percentage of, you know, people buying Cuban cigars in Mexico, there's not that many. They're shipping right. them all to the U.S. Cayman right. Islands, there's shops, there are little tiny shops. There's no Cayman people that are buying them. They're shipping them to the U.S. So a lot of the uh, cigars that are intended for the other parts of the world, they're all coming back to the U.S. anyway. So right. yep. it, it would level out. It would level yeah. out. And I got a buddy going down to Mexico and uh, I gave him some money to pick up a, uh, a glass top. A glass top box. Yeah. Those are the best. Um, and, and I and I did that for real to use as a um, as kind of a visual guide of what not to do. You know, so many people go down to Mexico or you know the Bahamas, the Caribbean, and they think that they're getting this great ten pack of um, Cohibas in this nice glass top box, and um, they don't know any better, and yep. so. Uh, if you guys are looking for Cuban cigars in Mexico or Caribbean or whatever, and it's a glass top box, 100%, those are not Cuban cigars. Yeah. I'll go one better. In Mexico, other than going to an official Casa de Habanos in Mexico, you won't find a real Cuban cigar anywhere in that country. Right. Anywhere. And they'll tell you. They'll even – I've been it's, – it's a crack up. You go to the shop and they'll go, oh, these are the fake ones and these are the real ones. And they're both fake. You know, but <laughs> – you no, know, they 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 try everything they can, and it's not just Mexico; it's all these countries. That's true. Yeah, um, Carl, um, this going back to let's talk about your scars. Go no, all right. Carl, <laughs> Carl wants to know uh, what do you feel is your best rapper, and where is it from? Oh, thank you, Carl, for that question. <laughs> my 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 favorite rapper, the one I've been using of late in the last couple of years. As I mentioned earlier in the show, we have a farm in Ecuador where we grow most of the wrappers that we use for many of the brands and many of the customers that we have. Um, in my case, all the LH and non-LH that I produce uh, come from there. I fell in love with a particular wrapper that I call the Vuelta seed, uh, the Vuelta Bajo seeded uh, Ecuadorian wrapper. I literally have a personal interest in this wrapper where Let's just say I was able to get some seeds in hand from the region, have it planted, and uh, it was a delicious Ecuadorian wrapper that at the time when I was making this uh, wrapper, 
Um, Jim Robinson, who has a brand probably nobody's heard of, it's called Leaf by Oscar. And um, no idea. Yes, nobody knows that one. Well, <laughs> Island Jim, it's another one of his unknown brands. Well, Island Jim said to me, you know, Nick, um, we want to get more. He loved my brand. He brought mine in, you know, um, right off the, the right off the get go. You know, he was probably one of my first retailers, and uh, it does very well in the shop. And he said, we got to get more people to get to know your cigars. I can't force the brokers that I have that sell my cigars to sell LH, but if you would make a cigar for me, um, I could have it be sold out there by my brokers and more people will get to know you. So um, I did that. I said, you know, Jim, I know what your palate is. I know what you like. That's my specialty. I don't know if you'll ever sell one of these cigars, but I know you're going to like this cigar. And sure enough, I made a cigar for him. Uh, originally, it was going to be called La Vida Isla. It's a whole backstory to it. Um, I thought it was a great name. La Vida means life. He's Jim, Island Jim. So the cigar was going to be called Island Life, La Vida Isla. Well, we got a cease and desist from a, a shop that has a, a small brand in Tampa. And we uh, we actually did win it. We, we, we didn't have to not do it. But Jim didn't want to wait for the legal part of it. Uh, to get through. And he said, you know, Nick, I don't care. I want to get this out there. I don't care what we call it for all we can call it. Let's just call it the Nick and Jim and just get it out there. So I said, well, Jim, eventually we're going to call it the Nick and Jim. Right. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. But let's just get it out there right now. So we came up with an idea to call it the Nick and Jim PBE, which stands for pre-band edition. And uh, we basically, you know, when you're blending cigars and before they're ready to be sold, what you do is you put a little white piece of paper and you mark down blend one, blend two, A, B, whatever. So yeah. in, in that spirit, we made a white paper band and I went out there and I found the most screwed up typewriter looking font where it's all crooked and found this font. And we just typed in Nick and Jim PB threw it on there. Even the box is tongue in cheek where one side of the box says LH logo goes here. Island Jim logo goes here. It just looks like it's, not ready for prime time. Initially, we were just going to do the first 20,000 cigars like that. And they went fairly quickly. And I said, Jim, do we go to La Vida Isla now? And he said, it's working. Let it ride. Just let it go. So we continued calling it the PB. Um, and it's gotten a pretty good following. And the reason I bring it up is because that's the first cigar that I put this wrapper on. It's a delicious chocolatey wrapper that I particularly love. And that's my favorite wrapper. Love it. Nice. And it's uh it's a cigar that I've uh um that I've smoked before, uh enjoyed a lot. And um so take us uh take us a step forward uh further because you know this this one here, you know, Nick and Jim PBE, beautiful band, by the way. But no, I'm joking I'm joking with you. <laughs> now this one this, all about the cigar. This other and it's all about the tobacco, exactly. And this this other one here. Just says, and I can't get the camera to focus. There we go. This one just says Nick. Nick. Yeah. So tell us about this beautiful cigar. Well, I wanted to produce different sizes and different blends using that same wrapper. And uh, in my core line of LH, I have Claro, which is a Connecticut shade Ecuadorian. Uh, Ecuadorian. I have a Colorado, which is a Habano Ecuadorian. And then I have Maduro. So I have three blends there. This wrapper, um, I was going to make an LH cigar with it. But then I said, you know what? I've had certain shops that have asked me for different sizes using that same wrapper. So I came up with a blend that's similar, but uh, using that same rich wrapper 
and I made uh, the first one was a Lonsdale. And uh, I'll give a shout out. The guy by the name of Clyde has a shop in Oklahoma City. Said Nick, I would love if you could make me uh, a store a cigar. And I said, Well, I'm working on this right now. What size would you want? And he said, Well, I particularly like a Lonsdale. And I said, I tell you what, if you don't mind that I sell this blend, you know, to other retailers as well. Um, you know, I'll be happy to give you the first batch of them and, and you sell them as a house brand. So his particular one says Nick on it and uh, Second Street Cigar, which is the name of his store. But for the rest of the world, it just says Nick. Why just Nick? Um, well, I, I didn't want to like I I didn't want to put Jim's name on it. And just so Jim didn't think I'm using his name to sell my cigars, to be perfectly honest. You know, yeah. he he's the um, distributor and seller of the Nick and Jim. That's his brand. Um, so I wanted to do something tongue in cheek using the same style wrapper and, you know, similar medium body blend. And I came with, came out with just the Nick. Yeah. So the first one was the Lonsdale. And, um, the second one is that I had a lot of retailers cause I don't make a figurado in any of my lines. And I've always, it's not that I don't like figurados. I just thought, you know what, for me, I just like smoking a cigar, the whole torpedo thing it's like you know it costs more why would you want it it's still a cigar you're cutting it off anyway i didn't i don't want to say i didn't get it i just didn't see the value of it but i didn't realize how the demand of that so i came up with a um with a with a a size that's a figurado it's a 64 uh, by six it's tapered on both ends and it's got that rounded um middle and um i was thinking of you know, trying to come up with a name for the cigar. And I heard people in the factory, you know, the rollers themselves, and they were calling it Panzon. And I go, Panzon. I mean, I speak Spanish, but I, I never heard that word. I go, what the heck's a Panzon? And they said, well, it means like a fat man. And I said, well, okay. Are they referring to me? I'm like, I didn't understand what they were saying. And I went on and on the internet and I looked up on my phone. It says, the actual translation is pot-bellied. So I get it. It's it's round in the middle and tapers yeah. on the end. And I thought it was a cool name for a cigar. I said Ponzon. So uh, it became the Nick Ponzon. So those two cigars are just shipping now. Uh, select retailers have gotten them already. And I'm happy to say that it's gangbusters going good. And the response has been incredible. So I'm really happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're excited. And I plan on... And I plan on coming out with different sizes as well at the same. So I'll have a whole line of Nick cigars. Nice. Yeah. Any Lanceros in the works? He's a Lancero whore. I, I love Lanceros. I make, you know, Lanceros in the LH and they're some of my favorite. Lanceros are, I don't care who you talk to. It's the least selling Vitola of any, any size of, of any cigar out there. I personally like them. I plan on making them. The Lonsdale wouldn't have been my first choice. I would have probably gone to a, a Lancero if I was going to go on the thin side. But uh, Clyde wanted a Lonsdale, and that one happens to be a 46 by 6. So, you know, it's close. I mean, yep, my, my Lancero in the LH line is a little fatter than usual. Mine's a 42, uh, where average Lancero is, uh, I think, officially is a 38 gauge. Yeah. But, you know, able to get the problem with the uh, with that, I couldn't make it that thin because even if I were to use – the same Lijero that I use in the Nick and Jim couldn't be done because it was just too thick and it's just too oily and mm-hmm. I couldn't use the same Lijero I tried. So I used a different Lijero leaf uh, in that. And also I just had to make it a little thicker just to allow for the proper burn. 
So someday I'll come out with a Lancero. But right now, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest, you know, uh, most popular sizes out there are like Toros, Toros and Robustos. Yeah. So right now I have a Ponzone. So I'm making the odd shapes that I don't have in the LH. In my regular LH line, I have all the standard sizes, you know, Corona, Robusto, Toro, a 6x60, um, a Churchill. Um, um, I do a what kind of like the nub killer. Um, well, retailers call it that, not me. It, it's the uh, Petit Gordo, and mm-hmm. it's a 62 by uh, f- uh, 4. The one thing with my cigars, including the Nick and Jim and any other ones that I make, they're very slow burning. So they're packed well. Um, it's not a free flowing, but it's very smooth. You get a great draw. Um, a little bit of resistance that I like kind of like on the Cuban side, but yet they last a long time. You will have a hard time smoking that cigar uh, quickly. And even people that really smoke fast, it's very difficult to smoke it fast. Yeah. Well, even even this one that we lit up, you know, a little mm-hmm. while ago, you know, Robusto size cigar that's still you know, still going strong and not, you know, if you not- hold that up, if you hold that up, I want to show people that was what I would call the original OG LH band. That is the band I use overseas and only for cigars that I sell internationally. When I first launched in the U S I tried to use that same band, which again is just black band. It was like literally the, the, the same shape and size of a, of a uh, Romeo and Juliet band. And I put the LH logo on there yeah. and the feedback I got from some of the retailers were, Hey, it's a great cigar, but you know, it's kind of plain. doesn't seem to do much. Maybe you can spice it up a little bit, give it a bit more pizzazz. And that's when I came out with the, the, the U S band, which is much more colorful. One of my favorite bands out there is the Opus X. I love the, the uh, reds and the uh, golds. So I came up with something that's similar to that. And, um, on the bottom, you see there's a little tan coloration there in the yep. band. Uh, because that band is so big, uh, to differentiate between my different uh, lines, you know, the Claro, Connecticut, uh, the, the Colorado, and the Maduro, I wanted to have, a you know, not a second band. So basically, it's color-coordinated. It's like yeah. uh, granimals, you know. You basically can tell which is which by seeing the if, – if somebody takes it out of one box and puts it in another box, you'll know what it is just from seeing what band is on it. Yeah. Well, yep. and that's good. It's uh, we're always uh, fans of making it making it easier on the consumer, and we appreciate the art and um, the things that go into making a band. Were what was your process in in uh, in your part in the design of band and maybe uh, other packaging artwork? Uh, I'm. I, I like to be creative in that way. I, I designed the bands, all the bands um, myself, except the, well, I guess even the Nick and Jim, there was not much to design there. Um, basically I'd made the logo, which is the LH, which is basically a shield it's over here. It's, it's a shield kind of looking thing with just the letters LH would stand for La Vida Havana. So I had that core thing. And then I just basically uh, using the little thing that's in the shield, the bottom and the and the top, I kind of added those elements to the outside of it and the top, and just kind of kind of make it flow together. And I just thought the the reds and the golds would would look good on it. And, yeah, and that's uh, how I came up with that. Nice. Do you uh, do you do boxes? Um, yes. And, okay. And uh, do you, what factory are you using for for your boxes? We make we make our own boxes. You're making they, own- uh, yeah. Originally, uh, originally I used to buy the boxes from Nicaragua, but it became 
too difficult waiting, getting them. Uh, and then we were having them. I, I, we, it's funny. I went and tried to source local people in Costa Rica to avoid this problem because couldn't get them. The shipping used to kill me, but it, you know, you could get them for a good price, but the shipping added something, but it was waiting, waiting. I was always like in demand of waiting for these boxes. So I tried to source out people in Costa Rica to make these boxes. And I'll tell you a funny, quick story. I'd, I'd go to a guy and I'd say, okay, um, I want you to make me a sample hundred, hundred boxes of this. I want to see what you can do. And he'd say, okay, hundred boxes. All right. That's going to be X amount of dollars. You know, he said, okay, it's going to be $7. All right. I said, okay, well, how much would it be if I want a thousand boxes? And this is not a joke. The guy goes, Oh, a thousand. That's a lot more work. He goes, that's going to have to be more money. It's going to be like $8. <laughs> I go, well, let me get, let, I go, let me get this straight. A hundred boxes is seven, but a thousand is eight. And the guy's looking at me with a straight face and he goes, yeah, man, it's a lot of work. I don't know. And I'm like, I go, this is not going to work, you know? So eventually, eventually we bought our own equipment and now we produce boxes at the factory. So we do our own boxes. Yep. The price is supposed to go down when quantity. Yeah. <laughs> I usually, I mean, you know, it's kind of business 101, but yeah. they, have, they didn't get the memo. No. So which of, of your blends, which one do you find yourself, which one is your go-to that you just find yourself, you know, smoking at least every day, if not, you know, if not more than that? Well, um, I, you know, people have asked me that question and it's like, I only have one son. So I really, I guess I'm not the right person to ask, but I always say, look, to me, it's like, they're all my kids. Yeah. I love them all. And they all have a very special place. And, and I have different times where I like to smoke them. I like to smoke my Connecticut, you know, breakfast with a nice espresso. But sometimes I like it in the afternoon. My Colorado is a very um, even keeled, medium bodied cigar. And then my Maduro has got a little bit of a kick, but not too much. You know, it's not like LFD strong, but it's it's strong enough, in my opinion. But, you know, people always looking for stronger and stronger cigars. And I guess I could produce what people want. But uh, in my opinion, that's about as strong as I want to go. But again, like Jim Robinson, I mentioned Jim, Island Jim. He likes that Nick and Jim, and he smokes that morning to night. And uh, I do like it, and it makes me smile because I know he smokes so much. If he's got less than 10 bundles on his person at any given time, and I'm not kidding, he starts going into you know convulsions because he <laughs> wants to always make sure he has plenty of, uh, of cigars to smoke. Yeah. Um, but I like that as well. So I, I really like that wrapper, and I wanted to create some other – blends with that wrapper because i really do like it. it it offers so much to the cigar you know there's with cuba i find that the wrapper even though again we can have a whole show just about wrappers but in cuba the wrapper in my opinion doesn't offer as much as it does with all these other countries it just doesn't add that much and i've done the test i've taken it off with it on you get certain cigars you take off that wrapper and it's a totally different cigar right in cuba is not so much you know what I mean? I just don't find that it's that much of a of a factor in there. Um, yeah, right. A lot of people go, oh, the wrapper represents 90% of the flavor. Well, again, it's a whole nother show. It is about geometry. It's about the percentage of it. But it is true. Certain wrappers offer less than others, you know, yeah. to that particular cigar. But in this particular uh, wrapper, I love this wrapper. I've uh, It's my favorite. And I like to work with things that I know are good. Again, I don't have the... Um, the leisure or the uh, to be able to sit and blend every day, I would love to. This this would be my retirement, just blending cigars day in day out. It's it's I really envy people like uh, AJ and 
and blenders that they really have a passion for it mm-hmm. and experiment with different things. And, uh, you know, that's why AJ got to where he is because he does try different things and he has gone outside the box and not just him. I just used one name, but, um, again, I've gotten good with certain tobaccos that I've gotten good with mixing and I'm always trying new, new ones in there, but I work with about seven or eight different types of, uh, countries of different cigars and I kind of mix it within those. And I, I, and I can get so many variations just with those alone that um, I'm just, you know, I got the training wheels on still. I, I think I, my blends are good. Uh, eventually, I don't want to go out and get a Cameroon wrapper and start off because it would take me a year and a half to come up with something, you know. And I just, you know, I just like to, for me, it's a natural progression. It's a journey. Eventually, I'll do different things. People go, hey, how come you haven't used a San Andreas wrapper? Well, first of all, right now, I'm, I'm still sticking to all the wrappers come, you know, from, from, uh, from our uh, farm. Um, that we lease, but you know, who knows what the world of, you know, I like what, what I make and people like what it is. And it's, it's, it's very specific. Uh, people will say it, it has a very Cuban like taste to it. And that's unfortunately, or fortunately by design, because I said my palate is Cuban, Yeah, but with this Nick and Jim wrapper, it's definitely different than there's, it doesn't really, it's not a Cuban type of wrapper taste. But using that particular wrapper with using tobaccos that may have fillers that are similar to Cuban, you get a good mix. Yeah. Kind of combining of the two worlds. I love it. All right. Let's uh, let's move into this week's uh, this week's vocabulary word. And as always, vocabulary is brought to us by AJ Fernandez. Born and raised in Cuba, AJ Fernandez now produces unparalleled premium cigars in Esteli, Nicaragua. The day-to-day operations at Tabacalera AJ Fernandez are managed under the watchful eye of Mr. Fernandez himself in order to ensure superior quality. The AJ Fernandez portfolio of premium cigars provides blend, strength, and flavor profiles to match the preferences of any premium cigar consumer. Whether it's New World, Dios de Gloria, San Latano, Enclave, or Bayas Artes, you are sure to be satisfied with a premium cigar from AJ Fernandez. So, guys, this week's smokabulary word is toast. Mm. I mean, who doesn't like toast? I love Everybody toast. likes toast. You know, put your bread in the toaster, a little butter, a little. Oh, Jim. wait. No, no we're yeah. talking about cigars. Yeah. Yeah. So powdered toast, so, man. So when we when this is one of those words that we repurpose for the cigar world. Uh, so toasting, when we're talking about cigars, is uh, putting the heat to the foot of your cigar. So after you cut it, you put the heat to the foot of your cigar, you toast it and warm it up slowly. So make sure everything starts burning evenly. And it's it's really just to make sure that it promotes a clean burn through the throughout the course of smoking that cigar. If you light it too quickly, then it's more often than not, you're going to have to come back to it and light it again or touch up the side or something like that. So if you if you not take to mention, uh, I don't know, just add not yep. to mention that it's not generally if you don't get a proper light in the beginning by toasting and starting off right you're not smoking that cigar the way that the blender had intended that cigar Mm -hmm. to taste because it's not incorporating all the different tobaccos at the same time Mm -hmm. the position of the leaves are very important and in the proportions so if you're only lighting half the cigar you're missing half the the tobacco so it's not going to taste the way it was intended to taste so it's important to get an even smoke that's yeah if you just put the cigar in your mouth and you just start lighting it 
you have a good chance of uh, uneven burn and starting and just like Nick said, um, you know, only hitting part of the tobaccos. So yeah. toasting it. And am I correct in saying uh, in the, the Cuban tradition, you toast before cutting? I've, I've never seen that. You oh, know, really? somebody, yeah, somebody else said that um, recently and I've never seen that. If you toast, I don't know. I, it doesn't make sense to me because if you don't cut the end of the cigar off, I've tried it. You know, I think mm-hmm. I heard on your show, actually, I don't know who it was, Enrique or somebody was saying they, they always light it before they cut it. And I was like, you know, I've never seen that in Cuba or anywhere else. Um, if you don't have an area, it's like a chimney, you're lighting a fire. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. My, this is just my personal opinion. It could be totally wrong, but if you're, if you close the flute and you're lighting the fire, where's that smoke going to go? You know what I mean? Um, it's going to, it's going to fill that cigar with smoke. And the idea is the filtering system that happens with the, with the cigar um, coming through the, the tobacco, the unburnt leaves. If you, if you're getting it stuffed with smoke, sometimes it alters the taste. A lot of people will uh, every now and then will purge, smoke out of a cigar just to mm-hmm. get rid of some of the stale smoke that's in there. Mm-hmm. So I don't personally see the benefit of it, but I, you know, I've yet to talk to somebody in depth about it, but in Cuba, I've never seen anybody do that. Okay. People, people cut it. I've, uh, at least the people I'm with, they cut it first. It's one of those usually, guys. usually they'll use their teeth. You know, it's not, uh, yeah. you know, it's someone like oh, this, yeah. but, but, um, we know yeah, I've never yeah. seen that. Well, and I'll say this too. And, and, not to get off the topic of, of our vocabulary word, but but uh, I'm about to toast this uh, Maduro, this LH Maduro now, um, and I I appreciate the covered foot. Uh, not that yep. it's necessary on every cigar, but but um, and, and there are some cigars that work really well with the covered foot, but I I do like the the covered foot on some cigars just so you get a little bit extra of that wrapper at the very beginning. And I noticed it on this one, um, on your signature cigar. I noticed it on this one that the limited edition edition that, um, it really gave you that wrapper right away. And it, it, the excess wrapper aroma dissipated quickly. And then the blend just started to come in to where it was supposed to be. And uh, but I do appreciate that covered foot. I like it's kind of a signature thing that I do in all my cigars. Why? Uh, one, it pays uh, homage to the way Cuban cigars were initially made. They never cut the ends of the cigars, you know, before Habanos, before the days of commercial Cuban cigars. They kind of just let it naturally hang over. So I used it, but but it does really three things. One, it acts as an accelerant. In my case, I, you know, people, it's a lot easier to light the excess leaves ahead of it, you know. And it helps light the cigar better in the beginning. Uh, two, it gives you, like you said, that burst of uh, wrapper flavor. You know, so that that to me is whoa. Uh, it gives you that initial burst, and then you get into into the uh, into the blend of it. So that's that's the uh, you know the reason for it in my in my case. I like it. Yeah. Well, and and you guys watching, you just saw me toast and light this cigar. It some sometimes depending on the ring gauge of the cigar, depending on the, the the moisture levels in the tobacco, if there's a lot of Lajero, things like that, toasting times will vary, you know, and that took me probably, I don't know, 
15, 20, 30 seconds. Um, there are some cigars that you toast that are going to take you a lot longer to do that. And yes, you have to use up more butane for that, but it is worth it. Mm-hmm. Take the time to toast the foot of your cigar because, um, I mean, I've only puffed on this, you know, once and it's, I'm not going to have to touch the fire to this again. Mm-hmm. So toasting was this week's smokabulary brought to you by AJ Fernandez. And now it is time for Numero de los Muertos. <laughs> All right. Numero de los Muertos is brought to you by Oveja Negra Brands. They bring you premium smoking experiences forged from tobacco, time, and talent. Comprised of Black Label Trading Company, Blackwork Studio, Dissonant, and Emilio, Oveja Negra Brands provide smokers uncompromising blends renowned for their flavor and lasting impression. Oveja Negra, where art and tobacco collide. Join the flock. Visit OvejaNegraCigars.com to learn more. All right. So, Nick, as we explained to you uh, before the show, I'm going to give out a number. And uh, it's up to you, Matt, and our viewers and listeners can play along to guess what um, has killed or kills on average, 45 people a year in the U.S. It's another low number. Yes. You've been hitting us, hitting us with low numbers lately. I know. It's very low. 45 people a year. 45 people a year. And again, I'm just going to, it is not illness related. Do we know hmm. how long they've been keeping this stat? Since the 70s. Since the 70s. Is it accident related? It is. 45 mm-hmm. here. Um, is it, um, um, is it grownups, kids, or both? It is a uh, vast majority of adults. Okay. Now we've got uh, we've got Chad, our uh, resident numero de los muertos expert. Yeah, Chad is Chad is thinking. always forty-five. Uh, That's so low. Um, are they workplace accidents? They are parachute not. parachute accidents. It is not skydiving. Nope. Because forty-five is wow. Um. It is not sport related. Not sport related. And to Ra'u, if I'm saying your name correctly, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, not sport related. Okay. Um, not accident or not workplace. Not. But it is accident related. Is it? Mm-hmm. Is it vehicle mm-hmm. accidents? Mm-hmm. Vehicle. Mm-hmm. Is it land vehicles? Mm-mm. Is it water vehicles? Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. water vehicles. It is water vehicles. 45 people a year. Um, Carl, Carl. It, it is not boating. Not boating. Yeah, because I thought we did boating we did. a while ago. Yep. Not boating. Okay. Um, water. Um, uh, Chad says jet skis. I was thinking that, but it's not boating. And I think more than 45 people probably have died in jet skis, right? 
Freaking Chad. Chad did it again. Is it? Oh, we no had, had other answers right on. I, you know, I was thinking that, but I was like, nah, that's too low. I have a feeling more than that. Wow. That's so just huge, huh? We had a few people answer jet skis right boom, boom. pretty much at the same time. So. Yeah. So jet skis is the correct answer. 45 wow. people a year in wow. the US only die. Um, and with a majority of those being uh, freshwater jet skis, hmm. the, uh, the ocean. Uh, jet skiers apparently are are better hmm. for whatever well. reason but uh so be careful on those jet skis yeah i wonder uh I, I would be willing to wager that uh quite a few of those 45 have alcohol related maybe <laughs> <laughs> it's probably, probably awful <laughs> and one of my favorite uh jet ski stories um if you can call it that was Years ago, you could Google, um, you know, how to get directions from one place to another, and it would tell you how to go. If you put in how to get from Tokyo to Hong Kong, there was an option, you know, where you can pick like uh, on plane Google, on Google Maps, on Google Maps, okay, you know, plane walking, you know, public yeah. transportation, and then it had another little thing, and it was a jet ski. <laughs> and it would say and it would say you know uh rent a jet ski and travel like i don't know i don't remember how many hundreds of miles and taking you know 28 hours on a jet ski <laughs> from japan to hong kong and it was it was hilarious they no longer wow. ride that but i bet somebody did it i bet somebody tried it right and, and along the way right so they said oh we got to take that off it's too much liability <laughs> well hopefully they had the tracking you know like with the tesla you have yeah, to stop right. the superchargers when you had it they told you where you had to go refuel i mean how many times to get there oh, i love it all right so that is this week's numero de los muertos good all job right. chad Good job, as always, Chad. And uh, everybody else. Yeah, and then, honestly, Carl Tarau, if, again, if I'm saying your name correctly. Um, and that, uh, that's real a quiz. good one, though. 45 jet. Yeah, don't don't drink in jet ski. Yeah. And uh, Tarau, if you could let us know, I know the taxes for cigars in Australia is insane. What are they like in New Zealand? Yeah. Um, I'm just curious to know. Um, so, yeah, just let us know what uh, taxes are like for you there. Yeah, curious about that. And the packaging laws in Australia are right. Everything's you know, plain the, packaging. Yep, plain packaging. Yeah. Yep. Do you um, do any work in uh, Australia? Do you have any product? I do. I have. Yeah, I have a distributor in Australia. Okay. Yeah. So based out of Melbourne. Um, some uh, some lightning round non cigar related questions. Um, Nick, if you could choose to hear the thoughts of one living person for ten minutes, who would it be and why? Oh my God! Right now, it would have to be Donald Trump. Yeah, that's <laughs> was, a very popular. You know, it would have. I mean, it's the you know the other one would be Biden. Yeah, you know because I wonder what goes through his mind. Trump's you kind of figure out what's going through his mind because he kind of speaks his mind, maybe a bit too much, but yeah. the thought process has to be uh, you know yeah. yeah just a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's all on Twitter. Yep. <laughs> No, that's yeah, that's a it's a common number answer. one answer. All right, so Nick, if you were about to get into a fight 
what soundtrack music would come on? Um, soundtrack. You know, like uh, Superfly, you know, like... Uh, oh, nice. You know, you know the 70s. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Yes. All right. Um, so choose one of the following. You could hit a home run as a starting pitcher. You could score a touchdown as a defensive lineman. You could score a hockey goal as the goalie, or you could score a soccer goal as the goalie. Yeah. Which one? Yep. Which one would you yeah, pick? Which one would you pick? The soccer. Soccer. Yeah. Coast you know, I know goalies have scored in their own goal many a time right. through the years. You know, but I don't know. Oh, there's probably you know some that play out. You know, like let's say they're it happens. Thing, it happens. They'll play out. But I just pictured you know kicking it from way on the other side and just somehow get, landing in the other goal. Yeah. So what um what is the number one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's brand new to premium cigars? Somebody who's just getting started. As a consumer. As a consumer, yeah. The number one piece of advice is to listen and talk to people that are in the know and to take it slow, like wading into water. You don't want to go and get the most, you know, if, if you, a lot of people start with these flavored cigars. I'm kind of anti flavor myself personally. It's two different camps. I like the fact that a lot of the people that smoke flavored cigars eventually gravitate towards premium cigars. Um, but I would listen to your tobacconist and have them try to find a cigar that's right for your first cigar. Because it, like anything else, if it's the a really bad first cigar or super strong, um, it could you know put you back who knows how long. Maybe you'll never try again. So yeah. listen to people that are experienced and um, you know learn. Again, it's all about not rushing it. And that's how why I got into it. Like I had a hard time with relaxing early on in life. And I used to, now, of course I smoke all the time, but you know, taking that, whatever that size cigar is, whether it's a Churchill or whatever, taking that 45 minutes, an hour aside and really focusing on that cigar and letting it just kind of do its magic, you know, puff it right. Um, don't try to smoke too fast. A lot of people I see smoke way too quickly, have that puff every once, every 45 you know, seconds, a minute, sometimes depending and then just really savor the, um, you know, the, the taste of it and try to really hit on all the points. But just without getting too complicated, talk to your tobacconist, have them recommend the right cigar to start with. Because if you start with the wrong one, it could be uh, disastrous. Yeah, well, that's, good. that's great advice. Um, so because we asked on the show, I'm going to pull this up here. Yeah. Tarahu says the duty for one kilogram of tobacco products is one thousand one hundred and fifty six dollars and so i did the the uh i did the uh can what's it called the but is that u.s dollars or that's that's i'm gonna that's, guess uh, it's new zealand uh, yeah. yeah that's that, that's not u.s dollars eleven hundred dollars that's why first we have to do the conversion of the conversion okay. is 67 cents to the uh, okay so okay we're still talking 777 dollars and 51 cents. And I'm not sure one, one uh, that doesn't sound right. One kilogram of how much is that? That's we, a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. That's uh, that's a lot of tobacco. 
Um, we, and, and, um, we don't metric very because we're dumb. <laughs> yeah, we're dumb America. We so dumb. <laughs> we're the only ones. Well, Gosh. a thousand kilograms. That's like how many? What's the conversion of one thousand kilograms? Yeah, one kilogram. Right, one kilogram in pounds is how much? Uh, yeah, I'm a dumb American. Two I don't know. I should know this, but I don't. It's 2.2 pounds. Right. So $700 tax for two pounds. So one kilogram is 2.2 pounds? That's it? Yep. Yep. Okay. So that's that's the equivalent of like 40 cigars or so, 40, 45 cigars. $370 a a pound, roughly. I'm, I'm just spitballing here. $370 $370 pounds. Yeah. yeah. I know. I know that uh, in Australia, tax. the tax is way more than the price of the cigars. I can tell you that. So yeah, it sounds about right. It's probably, yeah, listen to, probably uh, a little bit higher than Australia. Have you guys listened to cigar jukebox? Love that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dave Burke's in yeah, Australia. Dave. He's an American, but he's in right. Australia and, and, he he's uh, he's mentioned so many times that you know people pe- send him cigars. Pe- people send him cigars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's like, please don't send me cigars anymore. <laughs> I can't afford it. Yeah, so that's true. Um, yeah. so let's move into this week's notable smokable. Um, yeah. and as always, we talk about something we smoked over the last week that we enjoyed. Uh, that was uh that stood out to us. I bought a box. So about a year, I want to say it was about a year ago that um, it was announced that the non-Cuban facing brand of Fonseca was purchased by My Father Cigars and that they were going to be releasing uh, the Fonseca brand again to to the market. And again, the non-Cuban. And uh, they just just hit the shelves recently. I bought a box of the... uh, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, like a small Lonsdale 43 ring gauge, maybe a five by five by 43, uh, cigar. And, um, I've already smoked a good five or six out of the box and mm. I think it's a very good cigar. Um, I enjoy it. It's, 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 uh, it's a lower price point than, um, uh, you know, a lot of stuff you see on the market. So it's definitely a good value. I think it's a good cigar. Um, and I think it has a potential to be a, um, to be a big hit for, uh, for my father. Definitely. Absolutely. Uh, for me, I was gifted by our friend, Eric Mord, a Aurora Puro vintage, which, uh, was, uh, released in 2008 and it melted my face in a wonderful way. It was a fantastic cigar. Is that that big? Big Figurado. It is. Yeah, I remember those. That's a good cigar. It was fantastic. It was so nice. good. Nice. Um, so Nick, is there anything you've smoked recently outside of your own portfolio that, yes. that caught your interest? I smoke a lot of different cigars. I'm always trying different cigars. I did have this week the um, the Fonseca you mentioned. I was surprised that the way that they did the band. It wasn't you know classical uh, in the Cuban sense, but you know along those lines. But the cigar that I found really interesting this week um, was the Yagua by J.C. Newman. I don't know if that's even the correct way to pronounce it. 
Yeah. Um, that's the cigar that their their whole marketing of that is that there's no shape. They use the palm leaves to wrap it, so it takes on whatever shape. And I had a real difficult time in accepting the shape of it. It was just so odd that I was more wrapped up in every time I would put it in my mouth and it felt odd. The cigar itself was very, very good, but it, it takes a little getting used to the shape being odd. Like it could be like pointed on one side and rounded on the other side or each one is different. So um, yeah. great little marketing uh, thing. And it's a good cigar. It's just a little, little, <laughs> it takes a little getting used to and that mm-hmm. that's a good point because I mean we can get used to you know it's kind of like muscle memory you know and and let's say you're a guy or a girl who only smokes um you know 46 ring gauge cigars and then all of a sudden one day you get a 60 ring gauge cigar it's just you're it's something you're not used to mm-hmm. you're not accustomed to that ring gauge uh, or you smoke 60s all the time and then somebody you know gives you a uh, a Lonsdale and it's, you know, it's just going to take some getting used to, uh, but it is, I agree that that Yagua is interesting just because it's not their traditional or, or what we have known for the last, you know, 60, 70 years as traditional, you know, cigars that are shaped in molds and are very uniform and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, but yeah, we're excited to try that one too. Yep. Um, so, uh, viewers and listeners, uh, to give you guys an idea of what's coming up next week on the 22nd, we're going to talk to Phil Zangi from, uh, Debonair house and Indian motorcycle cigars. Uh, very excited to have him on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick, can you give us a final idea? Where's the best place for everybody to get the latest and greatest info on LH cigars? The best thing to do is go to lhcigars.com. And there's a little contact us thing there. You can send me a note. I answer each one of those. And I can not only direct you to a tobacconist nearest you, but I can answer any questions or anything you guys uh, related to LH Cigars. Cigars, feel free to hit me up. LHcigars.com. Awesome. Awesome. Nick, we love what you're doing. We love the the story and the uh, the history of uh, how you came up into the business. You're putting out great products. I've really enjoyed both the LH cigars I've had today, and we wish you nothing but uh, the best success moving forward. Thank you, guys. Likewise, continued success with your podcast show, and uh, hopefully you can have me back for your uh, 75th, 750th, whatever, whatever uh, cigar uh, show you have then, maybe 7,500. Hey, hey! How many years will that be? We'll, we'll pencil you. Still be alive. <laughs> we're all we're all for it. Absolutely. Um, Thea, thanks for your time and uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for, for having us. And um, we appreciate um, you being on the show. For our viewers and listeners, as always, guys, you you keep us going through seventy five episodes and beyond. Uh, we appreciate you for watching, for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, as always, hit us up on the website. How about that cigar You can email Garrett or myself directly from there. Um, you can follow us on social media at HBT Cigar. And until we see you next time, burn cigars, not bridges. See you guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs>